Welcome to Airtime, a podcast by Elevate Aviation, exploring all things aviation with a focus on the people inside the industry and their careers. Here is your host and podcast producer, Kendra Kincaid. webinar this morning. So today we are talking to unicorns. <laughs> okay, so we have a little joke amongst ourselves that we call female AMEs unicorns uh, because they're so rare. In fact, it's about 2%. Uh, sometimes I hear 1%, so I don't know what the actual number is, but 1% to 2%. Um, so we are talking to AMEs on our webinar this morning. So AMEs start for or stand for aircraft maintenance engineers. Now the news is talking a lot about flight attendants and pilots and the airlines, which it's wonderful. And we need to shed light on what is happening in those areas. But what about the people who work quietly behind the scenes, fixing the aircraft so that when you and I are out flying, we stay safely where we're supposed to be in the sky, which wouldn't happen without aircraft maintenance engineers. So we have spoken a lot before about pilot shortages, but did you know that pre-COVID-19, according to the 2019 Boeing Pilot and Technician Outlook, a whopping 769,000 new maintenance technicians will be needed to maintain the world fleet over the next two decades. The CCAA, the Canadian Council for Aviation Aerospace, was anticipating that by 2025, almost 5,500 new AMEs would be needed in Canada alone. And that was just to keep up with the in industry growth and retirement. More than 25% of the companies surveyed in 2018 reported that they are having difficulty filling aircraft maintenance positions, especially those related to areas such as structures and avionics. According to Transport Canada, there were, now this is crazy. According to Transport Canada, there were 17,662 active AME license holders in Canada as of June 26, 2019. Half of them, almost 9,000, half of them are over the age of 50. And of those, 50% are above the age of 60. I see an issue in our future for this. Uh, so now where do we go from here? Uh, are, are the AMEs still working right now? Are there repairs that have to be done? Uh, ma maintenance on aircraft sitting still, do, do we still need to repair those? I heard many times that birds don't fly. They don't like, or sorry, birds do fly. They, they don't like to be sitting on the ground. When they sit idle, they break. Is that true? How will the AMEs cope with the startup of flight against? Will they be overwhelmed? We are going to find out. So as always, we are going to talk to our guests uh, about who they are, how they got into being aircraft maintenance engineers. Then we're gonna move, after about 20 minutes, we're gonna move into how the COVID-19 COVID has impacted them. And then the final 20 minutes will be about what if you're interested in becoming an AME, how do you get into it? And how do you choose what stream to get into? Because there are different streams that you can get into as an aircraft maintenance engineer. So please welcome my guest. So today we have Alicia Paul. Hello, Alicia. Hi. Alicia, Alicia is from Jazz Aviation and um, she's actually self-isolating right now because she's traveling for work. Um, we have Michelle, or uh, sorry, Pam Cochran. Pam Cochran is coming from Whitehorse. Uh, she works for Air North. And uh, Pam is a manager and who's actually now having to go back in and do some work in the hangar. So I can't wait to hear how that's going. Uh, good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. And Lisa McGivery, she's a contracting aircraft maintenance engineer, which I didn't even know about. So we're gonna find out what that is, what that looks like. She's from Ontario and uh, she speaks on our cross country tour and she's actually um, co-leading our aircraft maintenance competition team. I believe it's in Ontario, but we'll find out. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. So let's start off with the question, who are you? And how did you get in 
to becoming an aircraft maintenance engineer because as I said, it's, it, there are not a lot of women in this career. So um, Alicia, let's start with you. How, what brought you into this career and, and um, what's it look like? Sure, um, I get this question asked a lot. Um, so I, I know this answer off by heart. Um, I was very passionate about aviation growing up. So I knew right away after high school that was something that I wanted to gear towards. Um, so I actually was interested in piloting and then I went to um, the open house for our trade school here. It's called BCIT and they had a booth for aircraft maintenance. And so I took a little gander and looked at the pamphlets and I was really, really interested in that as well because I've always been hands-on. So um, that really interested me. And I thought if I'm going to fly the planes, I should probably know how to fix them. Like that would just be that would go hand in hand. So I actually um, sidestepped the pilot thing for a bit and thought I would go back to it. But ever since I've done maintenance, I haven't looked back. And I think if I was were to be piloting, it would just be more recreational for me now. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. That's a very interesting story. Um, how about you, Pam? What, what got you into this? Um, well, I took my first uh, aviation job when I was in high school as an aircraft groomer in the evenings. And uh, aircraft grooming, it uh, takes place around the same time aircraft maintenance does. So um, I got to see firsthand what was going on in the evenings and uh, was pretty interested and got to know some of the engineers. And the more interest I showed, the more they let me explore and uh, until someone suggested that that's something that maybe I should consider as a career. Well, that's, that's really good that you got the encouragement and the mentorship and not the other way around, which was probably possible as well. Yeah. Um, and how long, how long ago, how long have you been in this in the, as an AME? Uh, as an AME, so I started my apprenticeship in 2004. Um, I didn't get my license until 2010. I was a, a long-term, long-term apprentice and I was, you know, encouraged along by one of my um, senior managers to go ahead and write my license so I can get my endorsements and um, get that aircraft certification authority, get the raise. And um, so that's when I finally jumped on board to do that. And I've been at it ever since. So even in a supervisory role, even though I'm not still working on the floor, you get to maintain your license. Okay. And Lisa, what got you into this? Uh, it's kind of a different path. I started my career in aviation as a flight attendant for WestJet. Um, that was, oh boy, eight years ago now. Um, and while I was a flight attendant, we actually had a rescue flight to the Bahamas, which is essentially an empty plane with mechanics going down to fix an aircraft that had been um, AOG, so aircraft on the ground there. So basically I sat with the mechanics and just kind of talked to them about their job, like, oh, what are you going to do? What's happening today? And the way they were describing their job with such passion, I was like, wow, like you guys actually love your job. It sounds so much fun. Like it's interesting. And they were like, well, since you already work for the company, you can come job shadow with us. So they kind of took me essentially like under their wing and allowed me to go into the hangar a few times and job shadow. And it was kind of like instantaneous that I was like, this is exactly what I want to be doing. Like, I love it. This is great. Everybody seems so happy. They enjoyed themselves. And I always liked working with my hands, you know, kind of growing up as a kid. So naturally it kind of was just a good fit for me. And then, you know, that was six years ago now. And, you know, I haven't looked back a single day, like it's been great. So I was really fortunate to have that kind of guidance alongside Pam, having people kind of help you out and guide you. It can really change your path. Cause had I not met that specific individual that specific day, you know, my life path might've been completely different. And to this day, I'm still friends with him. So, you know, it's been a great journey and I'm really thankful like that. So do you think that, you know, um, like, like, did you play Lego? Is that what you mean? You like to do things as a kid with your hands and stuff? Is, is it Lego? Is it like, what is it that maybe there's people out there or parents that are looking at their kids going, hey, maybe they should look into aircraft maintenance engineer because they like this. What would this be? You know, the thing is, is I grew up in the country, like I grew up in New Brunswick in a really small town. I spent a lot of time with my dad outside. So I kind of always had a knack for being outside and playing with different things. I wasn't really the type to kind of sit around and play with dolls. And that's just, 
you know, how I was growing up. I don't know why. It just, I, I liked it. And then I kind of got into the flight attendant role just to kind of step into aviation. But deep down, I knew, you know, that wasn't my career choice. And for some that is, and that's great. It's just for me, it wasn't my passion. And then I finally just a light bulb clicked the day I met that guy. And it was just, I'm so glad that it happened, you know. Where are you from in Brunswick? Moncton. Oh, okay. I lived in Moncton for a while. I grew up in St. John. So. Oh, okay. Good people. Wow. Good people out there. Mom, 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 mom. Yeah, yeah. Um, Alicia, you know, what percentage do you hear? I mean, it's 1%, 2%. And why do you think women, why is it so few, the number so little? Why? Um, yeah, I've always heard 2% as well. Um, I think it's just people don't know about the job. It's, um, you know, getting to the to the younger girls at a younger age and exposing them to all these different careers. I think that's the main issue. Like growing up, I never knew about this career. I had to kind of just find it myself um, just because I was so passionate about the industry. Um, but yeah, I think it's exposing the younger generation to at an early age um, will definitely increase those numbers. Yeah, I hope so. It's, it's everyone I talk to who's an aircraft maintenance engineer, they love their jobs. This is a common theme in aviation, but they, they love their careers. So, um, so Alicia, another question for you, what does a day, and this is going to be for all of you, what does a day at work look like for you? So you, you show up at work, what do you do? You, you, you wander around the aircraft and, oh, that looks broke. Just kidding. <laughs> So I, I have two different type of type of roles are that I've done at jazz so far. So I it, um, worked on the ramp, which is completely different from doing line maintenance. Um, so on the ramp, for example, I come to work around like 5pm. And then we work and this is when we meet the aircrafts at the gate to deal with any snags the pilots have if they're incoming. Um, so if they have like an oil low caution light, we'll be called to the aircraft to go investigate. Usually it's just topping up oil, but, um, obviously they want us to look at it. So, um, yeah, that, that sort of stuff. And then the line maintenance is more, um, later on in the night, uh, we arrive around 9 PM when all the aircraft come back from flying throughout the day and we have like work packages. So that's where the, the majority of like engine changes or wheel, wheel changes will happen at nighttime. Uh, now, are they ever surprised to see you show up or it's just normal? Um, surprisingly, I actually work with three other women at my job. So that for me was shocking. I had never worked with any other females before. So that was really, really awesome. Um, but I mean, everybody always asks, you know, the same questions. Oh, why, how did you get into aviation? Like, how did you hear about becoming an aircraft maintenance engineer? That's the, always the first question I always get when, it, when people meet me. Okay, Pam, let's dive into your job a little bit more, another level of, of what that looks like for you. And a, another question to add on to you um, is, is it harder for women to do it because there's heavy things that have to be lifted? Now, I, I've, I've heard a few things about this because I've been talking about this, but I just wanted to get your take on it. So, okay. Um, okay, well, I'll answer the, the heavy lifting question first. So um, just like in any job, you just got to work smarter instead of harder. Mm -hmm. And there's so many tools these days to keep every employee safe uh, when they're going to be doing any heavy lifting. So I haven't found anything you can't figure out a way to lift. And it's, um, you know, pretty easy to build or make leverage. Like I'm two and only about 100 pounds. So um, I had to figure that out very quickly when you work, work alone or finding help. I think that's a big key. Um, but now I'm doing quality assurance. So uh, my job looks a lot different. Uh, my heavy lifting is a clipboard and a laptop typically or a tablet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so my average day is coming into the office and checking on any open non-conformances or any ongoing issues that had come up from a previous audit. So I check on, see how everybody's doing and if anybody needs any guidance. Um, navigating the corrective action procedures. I um, liaise with Transport Canada when they want to come in and have a look at, at what we're doing. And, and quite often they want to come and look and see what I've been doing to make sure that we're towing the line and everybody's um, following the regulations as they're supposed to. Um, some people might think it's a little boring, but I go and usually have a little walkabout and go and have a tea in the other hangar, see how the guys are doing. Um, 
the most the most action I get get in out of the office is um, to go and actually conduct on-site audits. So sometimes I will visit um, our MROs or um, like our heavy maintenance facilities. I will go um, visit vendors occasionally, or I will tag along with our engineers and just um, do an observation on uh, a project. So we did an engine change in Vancouver once. Um, scheduled so I went down and I just monitored the process and made sure that the guys are towing the line there and um, yeah it's it's good it's diverse every day is different. Well it's really nice to know that there's options like people like to know if they go into a career there's options to move around within that and a, a really interesting option that I just found out about today is contracting. So Lisa explain that so what does a day look like for you? Um, well, I've spent the bulk of my career working in heavy maintenance. So just for those who don't really know the difference, like heavy maintenance is more so where the planes are sitting, you know, 30 days plus, and it's more of a strip down when you're getting down to the bare essentials and really doing different repairs and different inspections. Uh, line maintenance is more kind of on the go, busy, busy, quick. This aircraft has a problem. It needs to fly almost immediately, so it needs to be rectified. So they're very, two very different jobs, and you know I have respect for both. I've I've done both. Uh, me personally, I like working in heavy maintenance because it gives you kind of more time to really get to know an aircraft. So for anyone kind of up and coming into the industry, my personal opinion would be to start in heavy maintenance because you really, you know, you get to know the aircraft really well and see different things that. You might not see on the line and then as you progress in your career into line maintenance you'll remember the things that you've already done in heavy maintenance like oh i know how this is connected i've seen it all apart and i mean there's not to say you shouldn't start in line maintenance that's a great career path too they're just they're very different but the same and they kind of make a nice complement to each other when you know you've kind of dabbled in both or you prefer one or the other everybody's a little bit different and with contracting contracting is more or less so right now, because of the shortage of AMEs, which you know we're all aware of all over the place, a lot of companies do offer um, contracting opportunities, which is great because it does give you an opportunity to make you know, quite a bit more money, but it also puts you in a position where you're very expendable and you know, there is no term of employment. If the employer decides we don't have enough work or we don't need you or in a situation like what's going on right now, you're kind of you're on your own, right? Like there's not as much job security. So it's a bit of a gamble. Um, given the situation prior to COVID, it had been great. You know, lots lots of contractors everywhere were making great money and um, having a lot of opportunity. However, right now companies are doing their best to keep their employees there and give them a job, which I totally commend them for because there would be a lot more people, you know, having a harder time going through the next couple of months without companies taking care of their own so I mean I give them a lot of respect for that as well yeah they're definitely going through a, an incredible time yeah. right now yeah uh, okay okay you guys Perry asked a great question this question we get often and um, I really want you to answer this so isn't part of the problem here's this question isn't part of the problem with the lack of female AMEs the same problem that exists with autom automotive mechanics or auto body shop technicians or tire repair shops, that the work is hard, dirty, and moving heavy pieces of equipment, you don't get the recognition that the pilots get. You're really unsung heroes of aviation. And I'm gonna echo that. You are unsung heroes of aviation because you're the reason I'll get on an airplane, <laughs> for one thing. But what do you think of that? Like, this is such a, uh, uh, this is, people think, this about AMEs, but when I speak to female AMEs, it's totally different. Anyone want to jump on that? Uh, I can start on that one for sure. sure. Um, from a person that grew up with auto mechanics in my life, that's my dad, my brother. Um, airplanes, helicopters are very different than automobiles. And I always make this joke that, you know, airplanes and helicopters, typically you're working from above. Whereas a car you're underneath and you've got all the mud and the grease and everything falling on your face. Um, aircraft in, in general are maintained to such high standards and they're clean to such high standards um, that it's not, I don't think it's portrayed as um, clean as it should be. Like it's, it's really not this really grease monkey job unless you're working on some vintage aircraft, then maybe things might be a little bit different, but in the current day and age, um, it, the, the 
the cleanliness, the standards, the, nobody, you have limitations on how much oil it can be leaking and, and uh, you have to have occupational health and safety standards to ensure that you aren't lifting and moving things by yourself or you're not um, stuck out in the bush, you know, MacGyvering something that's, you know, very creative. That's, uh, the industry has really changed in that, that way. Anyone else want to jump on that question too? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll weigh in on it. I, I just want to start off by saying, like, personally, I, I don't like this question, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, I find, you know, questions like this kind of feed in and fuel the whole stigmatism that is the problem in the first place. I feel like, you know, as a woman in the industry, the numbers are staggering. It's obvious that there aren't very many of us, but I feel like kind of drawing light to the fact that like, oh, it's greasy, oh, it's heavy. Oh, you know, like there's these weird stigmatisms that girls shouldn't be doing these things. And it, it, it's something that bothers me deeply because first of all, like half the men, you know, are just as capable of strength as I am. I'm not saying that I'm strong because I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I think, I don't know. But realistically, like in our job field, there's very few times where there's something that you know, I need help picking up. And if I do, it's never a, oh, you're not strong enough to pick it up. Someone will just help you. And, you know, there's men asking the same question. So like, I don't like the question just because I feel like it draws too much attention to like, women are getting greasy and great, getting dirty. And I mean, it's irrelevant. You know, it's a fun job that people like to do. And I personally think part of the problem is just people not knowing about the job because to be quite honest with you I didn't really know much about it until I happened to run into mechanics and I was 25 years old right I mean so I understand the question I get it I've been in the field long enough to understand like people's views and how things are but I do think that the question is kind of part of the problem in its own well we're here to change all that right and you guys are you guys are all part of the of the solution to we're going to do that. Um, Alicia, did you want to weigh in on that before we move on to the next question? Um, I'll, I'll just say that I, I kind of agree with Pam um, in that, yeah, our aircrafts are maintained to such a higher level um, compared to cars. So when people compare the two, it's, I always jump in and say, no, 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 like our standards are way higher and it, it definitely is not as greasy and dirty of a job people think. Right. Okay. Perry, I want to say thanks for asking the question because I love just hearing those answers and what all three of you just said about that. And uh, that conversation, we need to have it. We need to, we need to have this conversation more and more about uh, women and uh, aircraft maintenance and what it actually looks like. Let's go to another one. Uh, Pam, this one's for you. As an audit person, do you get pushback because you're a woman? I uh, would say it's quite the opposite. I find that I'm much more well-received as a female, typically. <clears throat> um, having been on the receiving end of audits, and, and still am, um, our uh, regulators come in and audit myself, uh, I think that there is a, a benefit to having the female soft touch, that um, people are much more open if you can come across in a much softer manner. Um, I think it's actually a plus. Um, next question, let's go with uh, maybe Alicia, maybe you'll answer this one. Are you able to work on various metal or are you qualified only on one version of an aircraft? For example, a 767 or a 737? Great question. Um, so for me personally, I have both my M1 license and my M2, so I can work on smaller general aviation aircraft, which would be like a Cessna 172 or something. And I do have my endorsements for my for Jazz Fleet aircraft, so for the um, Bombardier 900, the CRJ, and the Dash 800-300 series. So uh, it just depends on what type of training course that you go on, that your company will will um, let you go on training for. That'll help determine what aircraft you're certified. Okay, um, here's another question. For a high school student, what kind of things would you recommend doing to get involved in this field if you're still in high school? Um, I know a lot of companies, well, I know specifically AARKF will offer um, kind of like smaller um, part-time jobs for high school students interested. And a lot of companies do offer job shadowing as well. So it's definitely something, you know, if you're interested in aviation, I would totally take advantage of it and see if it's something that you enjoy, right? Like it's a great way to kind of get your feet um, kind of on the ground and get your hands dirty a little bit and see if it's 
something for you, right? Um, another one, and then we're going to move on to COVID here because I'm, I'm behind on it. Uh, who are the people who control the maintenance program for the entire fleet? Do they need to hold an AME license? Anyone can answer that one? Pam? I just, I just typed a quick answer there to uh, oh, okay. the question. Um, so it takes an entire team uh, to run a maintenance program for a fleet, even if um, you only have one type or if you have multiple types. <clears throat> Pardon me. And a maintenance license isn't required. Um, however, it is an asset and experience on the front line is um, definitely a larger part of that so that you can understand what you are managing and how you can um, relate to who you're advising the work to and planning that work, um, but not required. No. Okay. Okay. Um, we're going to come back to some of these questions. So I just want to move on to COVID-19 right now. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Like, like I said, those stats at the beginning, staggering, staggering the amount of aircraft maintenance engineers that are needed in this industry. And then, and what is that going to look like after? So let's start, let's just start with that question. What do you think this is going to look like after? Are we going to be back to that huge number that we need to fill? Or do you think that's going to change in some way? Um, Alicia, do you want to start? Um, yeah, I think it's still going to be difficult for our industry to kind of rebound from this. So I think it's going to take time, but there's still going to be a shortage of AMEs, um, regardless of this happening or not. Um, yeah, you, like you saw, you saw the numbers and you read them out. I don't think this is helping in any way, and it's just going to make it even harder for everybody. Thank you, Pam. What, what do you think of that? Like those numbers that I read that talked about the amount of people over 50 and the amount of people over 60. Like, are they going to come back to work? Some of these, some of them, are some of them maybe not even going to return back after COVID? They're going to be like, ah, you know, I kind of like retirement. I think I'm going to stay retired. And what is that going to do to our industry? Yeah, I agree. It's a really challenging time. It's hard to say. The, um, the experts will say that pandemics last three months. Um, however, I think that it's going to have a much longer lasting effect on aviation, particularly for travel and tourism. Um, and I think that uh, you're right, what we were already facing was retirement. Um, so now is a great time for people to get in and start thinking about your training, because maybe by the time that this um, aviation starts accelerating again, we will see that need again. Maybe we will have more people prepared to join us. Yeah. So Lisa, what do you think of that? And do you think, do you think, you know, this fall, hopefully the schools will be back up again, like state. Um, do you encourage people to, to get in there? Uh, you know, cause some people might be looking at aviation right now and saying, I'm not going to go near that industry. Look what just happened. But that's what this is about trying to encourage people to, to stay in aviation, to continue with aviation. What do you think? Um, personally, the thing with aviation is, you know, yes, there's a pandemic, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a pandemic right now, but people will always want to travel. Eventually the world is going to return back to, you know, somewhat of a normal state because that's kind of just how aviation is. If you look at the aviation cycles that have happened in the past, let's say 10 years, it's very cyclical where, you know, every five years or so you're going to have too many mechanics, not enough pilots, too many mechanics, not enough pilots. And you know, that the way that the curve has been going has been, you know, a shortage of all of those things. And I don't think that this is going to change that shortage. I do think, you know, once the world starts kind of returning back to its normal state, which it will, everything will go back to the way it was. And we will see a shortage again, because, you know, there are quite a few people that have been offered early retirement packages at, you know, various companies that, you know, don't necessarily need to be named. But I know that quite a few individuals have taken those um, options, which, you know, will only add to the shortage that we're going to be facing when things do eventually go back to normal. So to answer, sorry, to answer your question, um, I do, and I would encourage students to pursue their aviation career because there will be plenty of opportunity in the future. So I don't think it, it's something that should discourage them at all. Mm -hmm. Alicia, how has COVID-19 affected you personally, uh, your work? So you're home right now. Um, so is, is that your choice? Uh, why are you self-isolating? And are you going back to work right away when you're finished? 
Um, so I was actually on a training trip um, to Halifax just like two weeks prior to this kind of um, really getting uh, really getting bad um, in Canada at least. Um, so I, I was training out in Halifax at our at our base. Um, and I was doing some maintenance control training there. So I was learning how to do all that stuff and kind of learning how our brain of our company kind of works. And so I was pulled off that just for safety reasons to come back to Vancouver. Um, and so because I was traveling on multiple flights, I chose to self-isolate um, just to stay safe and self-monitor myself to make sure I wasn't spreading anything at work. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I should be going back to work next week. Um, yeah, but we're still operating in Vancouver, as I know, doing line maintenance. Okay, and Pam, what about you? Like, is there work to do right now? Yeah, so um, the administrative side of aircraft maintenance continues. Um, you know, the, the clock keeps ticking on the calendar. We are still operating, even if we are operating on a smaller scale. Um, we've had to uh, make some changes. So anybody that can work from home is working from home. So that's most of our management, which is uh, myself included. Um, however, due to some of our changes in our maintenance planning, um, we've decided to keep some of our heavy projects home, uh, which is something we don't normally do, which is um, a choice to keep our engineers working as long as we can, but we need more help on the floor. So this has given the managers an opportunity to come in and uh, give a hand. We, with the COVID, we have to maintain our um, social distancing, even in the workspace. So we're having staggered shifts. We're only having a certain amount of aircraft, certain amount of people working on those aircraft at a time. Um, it's been challenging to manage. So Lisa, as I said earlier, you know, there's that saying uh, that, you know, birds like to fly in the sky. They don't like to be sitting on the ground. And when they sit on the ground, things happen. Like, I don't know why, but apparently they break. <laughs> um, so as we start looking towards the future and you know starting to fly again, what does that mean for the aircraft maintenance workers? Does that mean like working nonstop around the clock to get these aircraft back up and running again? Or is it a matter of going in and starting it up? Well, the simplest way to think about this is think about putting your car outside and leaving it there for a couple of months. When you go to start your car up, you're gonna have problems. Your brakes are gonna be rusty the shift might be a little stiff, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, when you put that on like the scale of magnitude of an aircraft, I mean, it's quite different. There are um, quite a few procedures that go into place as far as preservation go and different oils are being put in the engine to keep the engines preserved because you can't just simply park an aircraft and leave it there, right? There are procedures that need to be followed. So that being said, bringing them back into service is a whole other project on its own. It's a one by one aircraft where you're, you know, removing the preservation oil, you're topping up all the hydraulic fluid, you're running flight controls, and there's going to be kinks. I mean, if you're thinking about, for example, the Max, they've been sitting for what, over a year now, you can't just go turn them on and fly them around. It's not, it's not going to happen. You're going to have, you know, many different problems. Like I would anticipate hundreds of hydraulic leaks and different issues that will come up. So there's going to be a lot of work when everything comes back into service. That being said, the way that the industry is going, going back into service will probably be staggered. So it should give, you know, operators and different MROs plenty of time to kind of ramp things up and get them going one at a time rather than all at once. So it'll be a process for sure. That just seems almost overwhelming to me, the amount of work that, you, you know, that will be in the future here very shortly. Uh, okay, here's a question. Um, ready for this one? Uh, Alicia, let's start with you on this one. I'm just learning to fly in a Cessna. Hi, Caleb. Uh, I know the person who maintains the plane. He, wa he walks on water for me. I should know more about my plane. I took an online test about aircraft systems and did better than I thought, knowing nothing, but I still need to learn more. I'm curious, as the people who keep the planes flying, what do you wish the general public and or pilots knew and appreciated about what you do? Great question. I want to know that too. <laughs> um, it's a lot of reading, a lot of reading in the manuals and finding key information. Um, that's kind of one of our main jobs is making sure we can find what we're looking for the exact thing. 
Um, for example, finding a correct torque on a certain bolt, um, you have to be, you have to know the thread type, you have to know the size of the bolt and, and certain specific things. So it's being very detail oriented. Um, that's a very big key part of our job that I think a lot of people aren't really aware of. Okay, so appreciating the amount of, of work that you actually have to do. It's not just going out there and tightening something up. It's all the, the work beforehand and the knowledge that you have to know. Um, speaking of that, here's a question. Um, when you, okay, when you're tightening a bolt that does not have a specific torque and your male coworkers tell you to just uh, do it hand tight or a little above that, how do you know you have the right tightness. I feel like I torque them too much sometimes to get the male strength since I'm not strong as strong as the males. Who wants to take that question? I'll go, I guess. Sure, Lisa, I mean, thanks. Um, technically, you shouldn't be doing that. If you're really following the manuals, you, you can find a torque based on the bolt size, the thread count, like as Alicia was explaining, the thread count and the size of the bolt, and you should be able to find a specific torque for any bolt just based on using the chart conversions. Um, so I would never recommend for someone to just be doing okay. things hand tight. It's not written in the manual to hand tight anything. And if you're unsure of a torque, you should be using the chart to find the specific torque because you are liable for everything you touch, right? So that's what I would suggest. That sounds like really good advice to me. <laughs> Did I step on someone, Pam? Were you gonna say All something? Right. I was just gonna jump oh, in. All the insurance here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, just <laughs> wait and see what the hands-on ladies here are actually doing. No. Um, uh, Standard practices. There's standard practices for every manufacturer, for every item, and, and it's documented. So that's that's where you're going to go. If you can't find your torque, you're going to go to your standard practices manual, and it'll be there. Okay. Okay. Um, another question here. Uh, is there software work that you guys need to do to keep up the airplanes? So is there a software part of it? Alicia? Um. I mean, I don't really think so for us. We use like an online system that tracks all of our like log books and stuff. Um, but I personally don't take care of that whole program. I just log in and put in my information. And, um, and then we also have the same thing for our, like our manuals online that get automatically updated. But I don't know who actually takes care of all that stuff and makes sure, sure it's up to date and the latest revision. Okay. Does anyone else want to weigh in on that question at all or? Yeah, I could. Um, there is a lot. Um, there's a lot of different software programs too. And, and Alicia, like you mentioned, I'm not sure who does it, but there's a whole team and everybody uses their own program. So your technical library is taken care of by one person. We have maintenance tracking systems that are printing out your future maintenance forecasts for you every day. The maintenance planners use the same. Well, we try to use one system for most things so that everybody can log in and have a look. Um, there's a lot of software. It's um, not really typical for the frontline engineers to use a, a lot of it because we try to, a lot of companies will try to limit electronic access. We want to have as few people inputting information into the system as possible. So you'll quite often receive a paper package. Um, you can fill it out. It'll be reviewed by a supervisor or quality control. Um, determine if that you know, meets the requirements before it actually goes into um, our, your final electronic record. Okay. Um, here's another question for you. When I hear the term engineer, I typically think of technology. Is there a tech side to your job or is it mostly like being a mechanic? So the same line of questioning. Uh, Lisa? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's kind of funny because, you know, aircraft maintenance engineer, you hear engineer and you, you want to see the pinky ring on, on us, right? I mean, it's not a university degree. It's a little different. However, uh, the avionics side is more of a, a technical kind of technology type job. So it's a different path. There's maintenance engineers and there's avionics. So avionics would be more software related and wire related where mechanics would be more wrench turning. So it's a little bit different in that aspect, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, Caleb just um, added to his question when he was talking about the software. He, so he says on here, I was thinking about the Macs with the software question. We all know about that um, and how wired the smart planes are now. What, what do you as AMEs, uh, how do you interact with the software of the aircraft? 
So I'll I'll just um, butt in here. Um, so for our aircraft, I, our avionics usually deals with updating that software. And so I personally don't have any um, any say in, in what happens there. Like, I don't really know what goes on for the avionics side, sorry. Okay, well, let's move into the, 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 the training aspect in our last 20 minutes here. Um, before we move away from COVID, we kind of already did. Uh, does anyone have any last words on the, on, on the impact that COVID has had on you now, either personally or with your, your company? It's no? challenging. I can speak that a little bit as um, a single mom at home. So the schools are closed for the remainder of the year. So it's working from home. It's uh, homeschooling. Um, daycares were closed for a very brief time. So it's it's managing. It's balance. And um, it's the challenges of not being able to reach out to our normal supports, um, whereas everybody is staying home. So it's very difficult to call up a girlfriend and be like, can you take the baby for a day so I can do some work? It's just that we can't do that right now. We're all just trying to stop the spread. So um, trying to make sure that everybody takes care of themselves and, and then chip away at, at the, the workload. That's, that's the, the key is keeping that balance. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is tough. That is tough. And so many people are facing that right now. And uh, I just wish that we could do something to help everybody in that way. Um, okay, we are going to move on to the training. So what I know about AMEs um, is there's three streams. Um, if there's more, I don't know. I know there's three streams, I believe, mechanics, structural, and avionics. So uh, who can tell me a little bit more about that? Like, what do you do? You decide you want to be an aircraft maintenance engineer, uh, but now you're looking at what do I actually go into? So can someone speak a little bit about all three? Lisa, you're nodding. Do you want to start? I just nod all the time. But uh, basically what happens is when you go to school, your first, so your, your program's two years long. And your first year, it's kind of a general, you're going to get to know aircrafts, basic 101 of, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Year two is kind of when you're going to decide which path you want to take. And, you know, everybody's a little bit different. If you're more of a hands-on person, you're probably going to lean towards mechanics. If you're more of a software wire kind of person, then you're going to lean more towards avionics. And then structures is a whole different thing. So it's really kind of based on your personal preference. And the good thing is when you're in your first year of school, you'll kind of get to dabble in a bit of each you'll kind of just know because everybody's a little bit different in that aspect right so it's kind of really just comes down to personal preference and you know each job has its rewarding parts and it's you know it's ups and downs but it, it's really up to you like kind of which path you want to take okay um state has a career in a year have you heard of that one I believe it's, um, I think it's structural, pretty sure it's structural, like career in a year, you can go in and after, after one year, you can um, have your structural license, but then I guess there's still, you have to do your apprenticeship after that and um, really interesting. So what do you guys really think about, back to just trying to get, and, and the reason I'm talking about this so much is because there's so few women in your field. Um, what do you think we can do to get more women into aircraft maintenance engineers. Alicia? Um, so yeah, like I mentioned before, is just like getting the word out um, at a younger age um, to a younger audience. So even starting at elementary school and planting that seed, um, just so that they know that it's an option for them. Cause when you're in high school, you know, um, that's kind of when you start planning for your future and your college. Um, so if they have that seed planted early on, at least, you know, they now know it's an option. I think that will be really, really helpful um, for future generations. And then also having like the events that you host with, you know, the cross country tour and, and speaking to people. Um, it's really great to get uh, women in our, our community, you know, speaking um, about their careers and different careers that they're doing right now. Okay, um, how many schools are there in Canada that you can go be an aircraft maintenance engineer? Yeah? I don't know how many in Canada. I can tell you a little bit about Western Canada. <laughs> um, so out here in the West, we don't have anybody in Yukon, but the closest is we have Dawson Creek, Northern Lights College. Um, 
or in Vancouver, you have BCIT. And then if you go into Alberta, we just have SAPE, Nate closed their program a few years ago. But uh, the other thing that is open to Canada-wide is the ICS program, they call it. So the International Correspondence School. And it's a, it's a learn from distance, basic diploma for your aircraft maintenance. Um, th there's some uh, differences than what you're gonna get for if you went away to state. Um, like you won't be credited with the 18 months towards your apprenticeship, so you still have to do your 48 months and you still have to do all your tasks and you have to challenge the Transfer Canada exams at the end, um, which can be quite monumental because this is the route that I took as I was already in the industry. Um, once you get out into Ontario, we've got um, Canador. Centennial. Uh, which, sorry, I can't remember where else. Centennial. Centennial. Um, yeah, there's, there's probably at least a dozen. And oh, Red River in Winnipeg, they're there. Um, the opportunities are there and they all offer different programming. And, and you did mention briefly SAIT's um, um, accelerator program. I didn't know if they were still doing that. I know that Structures is um, typically about a 10 month course, but they did at one time offer an accelerated 10 month course for your M license. Uh, this was probably about 10 years ago, so I wasn't sure that it was still available, but I remember there was a very high demand for it. So if they are still running it, I think that's a really great option. Um, yeah, there is courses out there. What does it cost to become an aircraft maintenance engineer when you take one of these courses? Is it pretty much the same whatever school you go to, do you know, or is it, it does it vary quite a bit? I think that uh, the tuition is probably the same, but there are um, differences in the courses and the differences in the way that um, you can attend. So, uh, for example, uh, Red River College of Winnipeg, you can have, if you're already working for an airline, you can have them sponsor you and you can um, attend that school in the same aspect you would any other trade. So you would attend for a few weeks every few months throughout a span of four years, as opposed to just signing up for two years flat at a college. Um, a lot of people find this much more affordable, and, um, but you do need that backing from your employer saying yes, that we think this person is a good candidate for this type of learning. Um, it's much more economical to stay home and do the ICS course if that's something that you feel that you can, you have the mental capacity to do. And then I, you know, encourage if you're already in the industry. So I would take my homework to work and I'd be like, Hey guys, can you explain how to calculate the bore or the displacement, you know, and, and get that um, sort of hands-on. Uh, it depends if there's a, a college or university in your hometown where you can go home every day. So I think there's a variety of um, options for your economical status. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we know becoming a pilot is extremely expensive uh, and people want to be in aviation and they, and they want other options to be able to stay in the industry. So I think this is a great option. Um, we have a question from Dina. Hi, Dina. Um, so Dina, we, we may have covered this a little bit, but um, so Dina says, uh, when I escorted, so Dina is part of our Elevate Exec team and she took our, uh, we were the first all-female team together with United and Pratt and & Whitney down at the International Maintenance Competition down in the USA two years ago. Um, so Dina has taken our team down there. She says, when I escorted the Elevate AME team to the competition in Orlando, there were about 20 tasks for the team to divide up and conquer. This looks so much fun. I watched it online. It just looks incredible. Um, according to their specialty, these tasks include things like avionics, radial engine repair, and even changing tires. What are your specialties or preferred tasks? So do you have something that you, you like more than something else but that you have to do? Whoever wants to jump in can. I like changing tires more than I like greasing the gear. I mean, that seems like a pretty standard thing across the board, I'm sure. <laughs> I was just thinking um, routine inspections, it can be very easy to get complacent and they're not my favorite. You're opening panels, you're looking at stuff that still looks pretty good, so you gotta be really detailed and really focused. Um, I much prefer uh, troubleshooting or, um, you know, you're changing components, something like that, that where there's, you know, step-by-step -step process, you've got your manual, you're doing this, you get to check it after, maybe run an engine, much more involved. Um, routine inspections can be um, long sometimes. <laughs> Alicia, how about you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I like to get 
I'd be more hands-on. So I like the troubleshooting. I like changing components, especially engines, because they're a bigger job. And like seeing it from start to finish, it's very satisfactory. Um, gives you a lot of satisfaction to see it and then actually run it after to make sure it's actually working is like such a good feeling. Um, it's very rewarding at the end of the day for me. You know, as an air traffic controller, they always talk about, oh, air traffic control is the most stressful job in the world. And, and you know, we, we answer to that. Um, but I often think what you do must be so stressful because if you do something wrong, if you leave, I don't know, you leave a, a bolt where it shouldn't be, um, that can be, that can cause devastating effects. So do you guys feel that weight and do you, are you stressed by it? Lisa? I, I think um, the way that aircraft maintenance is structured and a lot of people might not know this is there's a lot of redundancy. I mean, for something that's like a critical, let's say you're changing aileron cables, you're gonna have two independent inspections and you know three other people look at it before it's even signed off. So yes, there are parts of the job that are a little bit stressful, but for the most part, everything is very redundant and very safe for these reasons, right? So it would be less likely that anyone would make a critical error like that because there are so many eyes kind of looking at your work and looking at all the things being done. So in that aspect, it's a little less stressful and a lot safer. That's good to know. <laughs> I like to add to you, like in the, from the, the office side of things, we make sure that everybody is trained thoroughly. And one of the things that we train on um, over and over is human factors and self-awareness too. Um, if you, we train on, you know, the dirty dozen and the rest, but if you're just thinking like, wow, I'm really distracted today. I'm really tired. Um, maybe I shouldn't perform that critical task. And that is okay. You'll like, we endorse hundred um, percent, making sure that our staff feel comfortable. If they don't, we will find something else. Wow. Sounds like I would want to work for your company. <laughs> um, okay. So kind of a silly question, but I've been on an airplane before and the maintenance workers come on and they're doing something because we can't leave. Often they'll say it's air traffic control delays, but they can't say that if there's an AME on board. Um, and you know, everyone's sitting there and often I think, should I get off the airplane? <laughs> like, you know, how do you feel? Have you guys actually been on when the passengers are on and you have to, you have to go in there and fix things? Is that stressful? Do you care? Or like, do you see people getting worried around you? I'm just kind of curious from your point of view, because I, I see it from the passenger side. So I can talk a little bit about that since I'm, I'm working on the ramp. That's kind of what our job is. Um, when we meet an aircraft at a gate. So usually there are passengers either coming off the airplane or just going on. So it is really awkward when you're trying to get something done, but you know, the people just don't understand that, you know, we're trying to do our job here, but they want to get into their seat or they're watching us work while we're um, doing something critical. And it's, you know, people are pulling out their phones and stuff. So it makes it really uncomfortable for us um, when we're just trying to do our job, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit weird. Or if you're working down um, outside by the window, like uh, on a landing gear or something, people are always staring out the window looking at you. Are they taking pictures? When you say they pull it out their phone, are they actually taking pictures? <laughs> I've seen people, yes, take pictures or pull out a, you know, pull out their phone and take a video um, just because, you know, you never know what's going to be on the news. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really weird <laughs> with social media these days. This is a company do they touch on that in your training at all or that's just something that just happened? Um, I don't think because it hasn't really been an issue. Um, I personally haven't experienced an issue with it so they haven't really um, touched on it or maybe I haven't asked. Okay wow yeah I don't know I just know that when the, when the aircraft maintenance people get on the airplane I'm like oh <laughs> but obviously you're very capable and uh and, and safe. So, um, okay, let's just recap. Let's talk about people that want to become aircraft maintenance engineers and they're in high school. Let's just go back to that for a minute as we finish. So, so we're out there, you all know with Elevate Aviation, we're out there trying to convince people to come and look at aviation and, and aircraft maintenance is one of the ones that we're really pushing hard for and saying, hey, especially to ladies with Elevate, we deal with ladies a lot. And we're saying, hey, look at these careers. So, 
just a recap, what should they be doing now if they decided they want to be in aircraft maintenance? Should they be piling up on the math and the sciences? Does that really matter? Will you learn whatever you need to know, whatever you take in high school, when you get on your course? Uh, Lisa? Um, you know, yes and no. Uh, going into school, there's definitely a lot of math and there's a lot of physics that you do need to know but it, it's something that you're going to learn i feel it's a little different for each person i feel a lot of it's very hands-on i learned more touching things and getting to know different aircraft parts and and you know kind of getting my hands in there and understanding components more than i learned reading a book about it if that makes sense but that's just the way that i learned so each person's kind of like a little bit different but that being said i mean having great um, aptitude and good math and science marks in school is certainly going to help you excel in your career. Okay, Alicia, we're going to do a final word here as we start to wrap up. I want to talk about mentorship. So at Elevate Aviation, we have mentors. Um, I believe you're all mentors with Elevate. And um, how important is it to have a mentor? And I know Pam's already touched on it. We're going to touch on it again. Uh, so for you, like having someone to encourage you to go into this, like, do, is that important? Do you think? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, because there aren't very many females to reach out to, or at least when I was um, doing my program and, and working, I didn't really have any female role models to kind of go to or look up to. Um, but the person, the PRM that I was working with, he um, took me under his wing and really taught me everything that I know and really encouraged me to kind of push forward and like pursue more manage management roles and get into like quality assurance and try and, and go into the different departments um, that I didn't even know were possible. I thought, you know, I'm just gonna be a maintenance engineer for, you know, 20, 50 years, uh, 20, 15 years, sorry. Um, but yeah, there's a completely different side and he really opened my eyes to all those different opportunities. So I think it's huge. Pam, how about you? So um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, there's a picture of the first woman who ran the Boston Marathon. I love this photo. Um, so she's running in the Boston Marathon and the organizer is trying to pull her off because women aren't supposed to run the Boston Marathon. And the men in the race are pulling him off of her. And it's so powerful when you see this picture because you're, you're like, like I, I tell this to men, men are needed in this to help women become successful. Do you feel that through the mentorship avenue? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and honestly, throughout my career, I've run into very few roadblocks that weren't supportive. Um, I found that most men were actually very receptive to the idea. I think a lot of, um, of now what are going to be our retiree groups really recognize what the industry needs and are, are really opening up to anybody in the labor pool. Come on in, right? So um, I think what most mentors are looking for is a mentee that's um, got an open mind and that's willing to learn um, regardless of their gender or their age. I feel that um, having more women uh, mentors though is maybe more encouraging. Sometimes it's easier to relate if you are a young woman and you have another young woman or older woman that's gone through it already um, that you might relate on a better level but in general I think the men are also great mentors. Okay. Lisa, can you just, uh, for the last thing here, can you just talk about if you are a mentee, what's your responsibility? Like, like the world is not just going to come to you on your lap and you take what you want. Like you need to put a little bit of skin in the game. So as a mentee, what should you do? Like I'm encouraging them to, to call and, and find a mentor. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people are kind of maybe a little more reserved and shy, but you know, this is a no judgment zone. There's no stupid questions. There's nothing wrong with, you know, anything you want to know. I, I would encourage them to ask absolutely any question they have, whether they think it's silly or not. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just your way of figuring out whether this is what you want to do or how to go about the path that, you know, you're kind of leaning towards. And I think it's just a matter of reaching out a bit more and kind of putting yourself out there, which for some people might be a little more difficult, but you could do it electronically if you want, if that's easier, you know, rather than a face-to-face, -face, some people prefer just write an email, whatever the case, you know, they just need to kind of engage just a little bit more because, you know, all 
four of us are kind of sitting here and we're ready and open and willing to answer or help in any way that we can. So it's just a matter of, you know, spreading the word and having them ask us whatever it is they need. Okay, well, that wraps up our hour. So I want to just chime in on that too and say, you know, if you want to be an aircraft maintenance engineer, or if you know someone who you think would, would want to become an aircraft maintenance engineer, just encourage them, or if it's you, you know, open your email, send an email. You can email us. We have so many mentors that are here, ready, willing, waiting, but it, it needs to be on you a little bit too, that you pick up, you know, you pick up the ball and you, you, you put it into action and you, you take your life in your own hands and, and start asking questions. There's amazing people that are here that want to help. So I want to thank you guys so much, the panel, for being here, for talking about your careers. I think talking about women and aircraft maintenance is, is an interesting subject and we need to do this more and more and more. And I know that you guys are all going to be out there speaking with us. Uh, I want to thank everyone that joined us today. Uh, to listen and ask questions. Thank you so much. A reminder that you can, uh, if you're not on our newsletter, go to info at elevateaviation.ca, sign up for the newsletter so that you can be aware when we do more of these. This ends our six part series of aviation frontline workers and COVID-19, but we are going to move into another area with the webinars and feature more guests. So sign up for the newsletter so you know about them and please reach out for a mentor if you want a mentor for anything. And, um, and that's it, we'll see you guys next time. And thank you ladies so much for being here today. I really appreciate it and uh, stay healthy, safe, and um, we'll touch base again. I'll see you guys all again soon. Okay. All right, bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.